the whole God says it, I believe it, that settles it mentality, I think is, um, is certainly has not been working for me for quite a while. If I'm being honest, of course I'm going to have questions. God, if you love us and you're real and you see us, why are we sitting in this kind of pain? You know, why do things seem cryptic a lot of the time? Why do we not know what your will is? And so I feel like if we if we can't ask these questions, then I'm wondering how genuine um, our relationship is with God. Now, I believe that people can have a very genuine faith and just sort of say, I don't really need, a, I'm kind of black and white, and I don't really need to ask a lot of questions. And there's those of us that have like a list of questions every morning when we wake up for God, you know? And I just feel like that has to be okay, you know, because that's who I am. And if you know me, like, I ask you a lot of questions. And so it would it would seem real that I would need to ask God a lot of questions. I think what God is showing me every day is, Leanna, I see you. And I know that it's I know you're having a hard time figuring out these answers to some of these difficult questions, but I just want you to know, Leanna, I see you. And for some reason for me right now, that's like the greatest comfort, you know, and it's like God saying, that's like God saying to me, I love you. Another way that I feel like I work this stuff out is just being in a group of people that can honestly dialogue about these questions. And that has been incredibly meaningful to me. I, every Monday night, I get together with eight women and we just sit down and we talk about that. And we just say, you know, here are the areas where I'm not feeling like I'm doing so well and I'm wondering where God is in that. And then the next person goes, the next person goes, and then one person, hopefully, is like having a good week. And sometimes that happens, that one person is having a really good week, and they can bring that and share that. And I feel like that's sort of how we all get answers. And I don't know that we really call them answers, but it's it's um, direction and it's clarity. So I think that's really maybe what God's more into. I mean, when when you look at scripture, Jesus' disciples are asking him all kinds of questions, and he doesn't really give them answers. He gives them more questions. You know, so I'm wondering if maybe that's not really God's uh, transaction. Question, answer, question, answer. It's, yeah, you bring me your questions, and then I'm going to make you think. And I'm going to give you spaces and safe places to dialogue about it if you have the courage to do that. We're finishing up this portion of our series of questions. We got, we're going to have several mini-series on different topics. The topic we've been dealing with lately has been this whole problem of evil and and uh, what I find really interesting about that video is her statements, you know, um, not, not that he's answered all the questions, not that everything is there, but, but she's come to this place where she realizes that God sees her. Isn't there, isn't there something powerful about that? Isn't that really what we want God to do? And, and that it's not even so much answers to questions, but she's, she finds clarity. And it's a little bit like last week, you know, we didn't answer a lot of the questions surrounding this whole topic of sickness, disease, healing. But wasn't there some clarity in the experience of that, seeing that there were so many people who have experienced healing or know of somebody who have experienced physical healing? So even though the questions aren't answered sometimes, God sometimes just wants to bring clarity. And I think today we're going to deal with this from the aspect of how, how do we walk with the questions but not be trapped by them? Because I think in our life it's really a lot of times these unexplained questions that trap us from continuing to move, continuing to risk in our faith. How do we walk out of the questions into the mystery of this good, great, all-powerful, wonderful, good God? who is beyond explanation. Because, you know, in this life, we all know it's reality. There's pain. 
we're going to experience grief. We're going to experience loss. We're going to experience people offending us and hurting us. And, and there's just way too much around those topics to be able to explain it away. So how we view pain and the, and the difficulty surrounding suffering and evil and unanswered questions and how do we do that and still walk free into the goodness of God and in the impossibility of answering all these questions. So I think the real question, the, the most practical question that we can actually ask ourselves throughout this whole discussion is how do we walk free? How do we walk into the mystery of God in spite of the unanswered questions? How do we respond to the problem of evil? How do we respond when we feel offended or when we have pain or when we have hurt or when we have sickness that doesn't seem to get healed right away or healed ever or healed in the way we want? Because we all respond. We all respond in some way, right? I mean, think about it. How do you respond when you experience pain? I mean, I know that sometimes, sometimes for me, I'll respond by actually, in a healthy way, maybe, maybe talking about it. And sometimes I respond in an unhealthy way by whining and blaming. What are some of the ways that you guys have seen either yourself or others respond to pain, suffering, evil? Holler. Come on. This is in her. Internalize it. What other ways? Anger. Bad day at work. Boss seems unfair or employees treat us bad. We come home and take it out on our family sometimes, don't we? What other ways? Healthy or unhealthy? Doubt. Depression. Depression. Do we all respond really unhealthy all the time? <laughs> Isn't it easier to actually say those? Journaling. Journaling. Prayer. And there's so many other ways, but, but isn't it interesting that isn't it interesting that it was easier for us to say the unhealthy ways than it was to say the healthy ways, or it was quicker for us to say. And to me, that's just a reflection of how our unanswered questions, our frustrations surrounding these issues, so often is responded to in a way that blocks us from continuing our faith. The unexplainable trumps the undeniable in our life on a regular basis. So how do, we, how do we move past that? One person wrote this. This person said, It is our resistance or our reaction to suffering that is the core of all sinful or dysfunctional behavior. When you really look at it, all neurosis that is not purely physically caused is our coping mechanism in relation to suffering in relation to pain, in relation to offense, in relation to sickness or disappointment. How do we move out of the questions that block us into the mystery of God? How do we allow God, because we've already established the fact that God is all good, He's all powerful, 
He is not the author of evil. He's not the author of sickness. We've already established that in the previous weeks. If you missed those weeks, go back and listen to them. But he is here to redeem those things. And we use this word redeem a lot because it's a biblical word. It's a, it's, it's a word that's used in Christianity a lot. And, and redeem basically means to, means to trade in, to, to exchange or convert or restore right relationship. Or it could mean to recover or restore a right state of being from a corrupted, damaged, or enslaved state of being. And God, we've already looked at, is the, not the author of those things, but he works in everything to turn them for our good. But i got to be honest. Even saying that, it still leaves me with lots of questions. What about, what about when it doesn't happen? What about when we pray and it doesn't happen? Why, why does it come in the first place? What about, what about the, the whole biblical themes of, of judgment? And how does that relate to evil? And how does that relate to God? And where is God and all that stuff? So, so today as we look at this and finish up this topic, I want to make three observations about how God may be interacting with what we feel like or what is evil in our lives. And, and just take a look at those. And then I want to make one for, final fourth observation that I think ties it all together and, and helps us find a freedom to walk out of being blocked in our questions into a freedom of pursuing Him. And I'm going to use a bunch of metaphors today again, or little analogies. And, and as I said one other time, don't microanalyze them. Don't, don't extend these analogies too far because they will break down very quickly. But just take them at face value. Will you do that? First perspective that shapes our attitude and, and toward difficult circumstances and difficult things, even in the Bible. Here's a question I've heard often. So you've said that God is not evil, yet the Bible is full of statements of Him judging people and sending plagues and wars. What about that? How can He do that and not be evil? Wendy's grandmother was uh, born in Germany during the First World War. And, uh, and lived her early childhood years there before moving to the U.S. Her parents died of, before the war. Her brothers were shipped off to the war, and she was shipped off to a relative's house who uh, frequently locked her in a shed with no lights and the rats running around her feet. We would call that abusive and evil. But a criminal locked up in a prison, we would call that justice and protection of the society from evil. We would say that forced labor in a concentration camp is evil. And yet we would say forced chores on our children because of for discipline reasons is actually good in teaching them discipline. We would say that Loner and the mass murder, mass murder that he did and the shootings that he did in Arizona a few weeks ago is clearly evil. But we would say that our soldiers fighting terrorists who were trying to kill other people is clearly justice and the restraining of evil. Sometimes our perception of what is evil and our perception of pain and our perception of maybe even God interacting in that is not an accurate perception because just as I've demonstrated already, we view evil here, but we view similar things over here as justice. And, and here's the reality. If we demand that God be just, which we do, especially when we deal with this whole problem of evil and suffering. One of our demands, one of our questions, core questions is, God, why are you not just? Why are you not good? If we demand that he's just, then we also have to allow for the fact that he will discipline and he will do things 
to restrain evil. He may lock people up in the prison of their sin, letting them experience the full measure of that sin so that they would want to change and be redeemed. This is illustrated all throughout the Bible, but one passage illustrates it shorter than almost any other text in the Bible, and therefore I'm using it. It does deal with money, but I don't want you to get lost in the issue of money. I want you to listen to the bigger themes in this, because it illustrates who God is towards us. And it's Malachi 3, and and Sean actually referenced it earlier. And it starts out by saying this. It says, I, the Lord, do not change, so you, O descendants of Jacob, are not destroyed. God starts out by reaffirming His goodness to us and by telling us what He has refrained from doing in patience, which He justly should have done, which is destroy the people for their sin against Him. He goes on to say how great His sin is because He says, Ever since the time your forefathers of your forefathers you have turned away from My decrees and have not kept them. This is hundreds of years of God's patience before bringing judgment of this magnitude. God is so much more patient and gracious than we would ever be. And in spite of all those hundreds of years of offense, it goes on to say this. God says to them, He says, Return to Me and I will return to you, says the Lord Almighty. You see, God's desire is always to pursue relationship with us. Everything He does in our life, everything He works through, every evil, whether it's evil or whether it's discipline, that He works in to turn to good is all about His love for us and His relationship and establishing that with us. And then we see Him go into this dialogue in the rest of the text where, where he's, he's, God is talking and then, and then He's hearing the, the thoughts of the people and phrasing that for us. And He goes on and says, But you ask talking about the thoughts of the people. How are we to return? And to me, this is a beautiful phrase in and of itself. It's just like the the gal in the video at the beginning. God hears us. God sees us. Even in the midst of our rebellion, even in the midst of our sin that keeps us far from Him, even in the midst of pain or, or evil that comes upon us that we don't justly deserve, He sees us. He's with us. And He hears us. God hears our questions. And then He goes on to answer the question. He says, will, will a man rob God? Yet you rob Me. But you ask, how do we rob you? And He goes on to say, in tithes and offerings, you are under a curse. This is an illustration of God's active judgment because of disobedience in our lives. And he goes on to say, you're under a curse, the whole nation of you. This is an illustration of what we talked about a few weeks ago, the fact that sin has a corporate impact. It just doesn't affect us. It affects the nation. It affects people. It affects a church. It affects a community. It affects a family. The whole nation of you, because you are robbing me, Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that you will not have room enough for it. That's a lot. And I will prevent pests from devouring your crops, and the vines in your fields will not cast their fruit, says the Lord Almighty. Then all the nations will call you blessed, for yours will be a delightful land. All the nations will call you and your family blessed, because yours will be a delightful life, a delightful family that people will want to have the same thing. 
And it's not the finances that I want you to focus on because if we look at the prophets and we look at this whole theme throughout the Bible, whether it's finances or whether it's how we approach our religion and faith and, or whether it's how we approach our neighbors, God promises liberal blessings in our life when we follow Him. And He invites us to test Him. And if you're here today and you're not convinced of this or you're not even convinced of faith in in God, He's inviting you to test Him to see if He really is good, to see if He really is true, to see if He really does want to bless you. And you'll hear it over and over again. That's the reason we'll tell you. We're not here to convince you of faith. I'm not here to convince you of tithing. I'm not here to convince you of faith in Jesus. I think He can do that Himself. What I am here to convince you of is to test Him, to pursue Him, to follow Him and see if He's real and see if His Word is true. But we can't stop there because if we stop there, you'll miss the main point of this whole text. So so listen as we move on. God answers them again and says, You have said harsh things against me, says the Lord, yet, yet you ask, what have we said against you? And then he answers and he says, You have said it is futile to serve God. What did we gain by carrying out his requirements and going about like mourners before the Lord Almighty? Did you hear what he's saying there? This is the classic religious misconception of church and of faith in God. That he is only about wanting us to do these hard, difficult, doldrum things that he's here to take all the fun out of life and make us walk around like mourners, that that he doesn't want church to be fun. He doesn't want our life to be full of blessing. And God's saying that when we say that about him, it is harsh because it is so not who he is. It may be what religion is, but it's not what faith and following Jesus is. And he goes on and says more. He says, But now we call the arrogant blessed. Certainly the evildoers prosper. And even those who challenge God escape. And and we've heard this, I've heard this over and over again from people. They say, Well, I tried tithing, but my finances didn't work out. My bills still didn't get paid. And God didn't bless the way I wanted. And I looked down the street and the guys who weren't doing it were getting blessed. And and they were doing just fine. And and see, God is saying that this is is what they're saying in their heart. Well, first of all, let's look at this in a second. And and again, the context is money, but this could be any area of our life. First, the blessing is not always financial. In fact, who are we to say that the finances in somebody else's life are not part of God allowing them to reap the suffering of their own sin? I mean, we look at at people like Charlie Sheen in the the news media today. How do we know that God isn't allowing his prosperity to, to amplify his sin and amplify the pain so that maybe he will turn and allow God to redeem him? And what God is calling, speaking harshly against us is, is really no different than, than, than what we struggle with in relationships and sometimes don't like. If, if you're a person here with a lot of money, you probably struggle with the idea that, that, and probably the reality that people approach you because of the benefits they get. They get to spend time with you. You maybe spoil them. They spend money. And, and, and you don't like that kind of a relationship. Or maybe, maybe you're a person here who's just a really good listener and a good counselor. And people, and you struggle with the fact that people never come to you really truly as a friend. They say, let's just get together as friends. And then the whole time is two hours, three hours of them dumping on you. And, and it's never mutual. It's, it's always taking of your gift and who you are. And, or maybe you're a boss or a leader and, and, 
and you struggle with the idea of people coming to you because all they want to be friends with you about is because of your connections, because of your influence, and it's really not about you. And, and, and God is saying here, you know, the reality is that I don't want that kind of a relationship with you either. Yes, I promise blessing. I promise blessing beyond what you can imagine. But, you know, just because the blessing hasn't come doesn't mean it's not going to come because he, He's more concerned about our heart. It is always, always about our heart. Whether it's money, whether it's relationships, whether it's our job, whether it's surrender of an area of sin, it is always more about our heart. The blessing will come, but He doesn't want you coming to Him like a person wanting to come to Him just because He's rich. He wants you to come to Him with a pure heart. And He wants to shape your heart. And sometimes... What feels like evil or what is evil, God allows it to stick around longer than we want because He wants to test our heart. He wants a heart in us that is so pure that He can trust us with the blessing He wants to give us. Tithing is not a magic bullet. When we pray for healing and faith, it's not a magic bullet. When we serve, it's not a magic bullet. Does God respond to our prayers and heal people? Yes. When He serves, does He bless us? Yes. When we tithe, does He bless us? Yes. Just because the blessing hasn't come doesn't mean it's not going to come. In His grace, God is so amazing, blessing us without demanding perfection. Yet at times, our struggles with pain, frustration, finances, disillusionment, Sickness. He allows to last maybe longer than we want because He's shaping our heart. There's another example of this that will come out this week in the After the Message email, which actually, uh, it's not just an email and it's not just on Facebook. We've been posting it now on our homepage as well. So at the bottom of the homepage, if you want to get that, uh, we'll have devotional ideas. But I would recommend you consider reading Romans 1 this, this week to, to see an example of God's passive judgment where in Romans 1 towards the end of the chapter, he repeatedly uses this phrase, God gave them over to the sinful desires of their heart. He's passively judging. He's not actively judging. He's giving us over to the sinful desires of our heart that we would, like an alcoholic or like somebody else, hit bottom and be ready and wanting to change. And sometimes God does that. Perspective number two, this is more of a perspective on God's healing and resolving the pain of evil. You know, God sees us, but do we see Him accurately? You know, this could be akin to how many of you have taken your kid to the doctor and they had to get a shot and they screamed bloody murder, but you knew it was best for them. How many of you as adults have been fearful of a surgery and yet you knew it was the right thing to do? Or how many of us have had somebody in our family who maybe was an alcoholic or something and they were destroying their, their, their life but unwilling to, to, unwilling to resolve the fact that it was actually damaging them. There was too much pride and, and, and they had to come to the, work through the pain to get to the point of understanding God. Pardon me just a second. got my notes out of order, so I was confused. You know, 
if you've experienced pain, if you've experienced true evil, offense in your life, God might take you through a rehab process. And you are so fearful of opening yourself in that area. You're so fearful of the pain that you refuse to do the simple things. You know, we've all looked at the people who have had strokes or had major accidents, and, and we see the pain of them learning to use their hands and then learning to use their feet and then learning to walk and, and maybe eventually even learning to run and how hard and painful that process is. And, and sometimes God does that. Sometimes it's, sometimes it's like restoring a damaged vehicle, like we're, we've been in a car crash, and sometimes God takes off the whole fender and puts on a new one and like, like we always desire through, through prayer for healing. It just happens like that. But sometimes God works in us and he, he sticks us in that vice and for whatever reason, again, maybe testing our heart, he hammers on us, he applies heat to us. And, and can we see some of what we, what we go through from that perspective? And, and he invites us to persevere. In Romans 5, chapter one, or verse 1, it says this, Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And, and this, listen to this. And we, we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. And not only so, but we also rejoice in our sufferings. Isn't that a weird concept? We rejoice in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance, character. Character is never shown until it's tested. And character, hope. And hope does not disappoint. Just because the pain is not gone doesn't mean it won't be someday. Hope does not disappoint. A third perspective on God and evil that he actually invites us to seek out painful places. We've all heard the analogy of, you know, a cornered injured dog and trying to help it and it's going to bite us. And, and there's so much true about that with people as well. When we feel injured, when we feel unsafe, when we feel cornered, when we've been hurt by somebody else, we oftentimes feel like we're in a corner and we end up, we end up biting people. God invites us to join him in his mission of redeeming People. And that invitation throughout Scripture over and over again is worded like this. In Romans 8, 17, it says this, Now if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. That is really cool. If indeed we share in His sufferings in order that we may also share in His glory. And I find this next passage even more interesting. Colossians 1, 24. Now I, I rejoice in what was suffered for you, Paul is saying, talking to the people in the church of Colossae. And he says, I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regard to Christ's affliction. That is such an interesting statement. I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in Christ's affliction. We've all been taught, and it's true, that Christ has completed the work perfectly. And yet part of the now and the not yet that we talked about before is the fact that he is still trying to redeem us. He's still trying to, to take the corruption away from us, to heal us, to, to restore his image in us. And he's trying to redeem people out there who do not know him. And, and part of that redemption is that we need to be willing to get close enough to them that they will, like a cornered dog or a hurt person, lash out with us, lash out to us. And what does this mean for us when we talk about living life as friends with faith? What does that mean? 
So often we approach friendship from something that is just comfortable and good and nice and and, and it makes us feel good. But God's actually inviting us to not love our life so much that we're afraid of pain and death and hurt and, and difficulty. He's inviting us to get close to people that we know ahead of time are going to betray us or hurt us or, or, or get angry at us. And to be faithful enough friends like He was to us coming as Jesus to us. That we will endure the pain because there is something beautiful that God has created in them. And God wants to work through us. It's easy for us to demand that relationships provide all the happiness we need in life. But that's not God's primary intention in us being friends friends with people. He does promise blessing. He does promise abundant life. He promises that when we learn to follow Him this way, that we will have friends who are faithful and wonderful beyond anything we can imagine. But He always invites us to go after the people as well who we know are going to be gossip about us and hurt us. So fourth perspective. While these perspectives on suffering and evil may, may help us understand possibly what God is doing at a time, here's one that ties it all together and helps us really truly walk out of the, block, the blockade of questions in our life into the mystery of God's goodness. God, the, the great physician, the great father, the, the healer, the, the great commander, sometimes tells us what's going on and sometimes doesn't. It's a little bit like us as parents, not telling our kids that there's ice cream at the end of this job because we want them to do it for the right reasons, because it's a hard issue. And sometimes it's like a good general sending troops into battle because the price of freedom is worth it. And sometimes that general tells us ahead of time how hard it's going to be and how bad it's going to be, and sometimes he doesn't because he knows if he told us how hard it was going to be ahead of time, we wouldn't do it. And the reality is if we don't do it, we miss out on the thing that is going to bring the greatest glory to him and the thing that we will be most honored in life to be a part of by going into it. As an all-good, all-powerful, all-perfect, Father, who loves us, we can trust in His goodness to tell us what we need to know when we need to know it. We can trust His plan to shape us, to heal us, to work through us, to tell us exactly what we need to know when we need to know it. And there's going to be another thing in the after the message of devotional we're going to have this week that I'm going to encourage you to do on Romans 8 that is just amazing to reflect on this whole concept. But this last week, uh, during one of the snow days, our family was together all at once in one place, which doesn't happen very often with three kids and sports and music and Wendy working and homework and church. And we had a quiet time, a devotional time together. And we we looked at Matthew 17, and and Jesus' disciples are trying to heal someone there. And they, they can't get it done. And Jesus comes down and rebukes them for their lack of faith. I mean, just outright rebukes them. How, just you perverse and generation, you unbelieving, I'm so frustrated with you type of a rebuke. And when we face difficulty in our life, 
when we pray for healing in our own life or we pray for healing in somebody else's own li- other's life or when we pray for a job or provision or, or relationships to be healed or something and, and we don't see it, very o- see it right away, we too oftentimes read passages like Matthew 17 and we feel rebuked and, and that sends us back into our shell of questions going, I just can't do this and I don't understand it and I'm not even going to try. But what we forget and what we don't see is is that Jesus didn't stop and kick these disciples out. He didn't give up on them. What we forget is that the disciples still continued to follow Him. What we forget in reading the Bible is that less than a year later, these same disciples were casting out demons, healing people, and seeing thousands of people come to Christ. Why? Because they simply decided not to be stopped by the unexplainable questions and by the failures that they associate with those unexplainable questions, they simply decided to continue to follow. They simply decided to continue to pray and risk. And they simply decided, if I pray for healing this time and it doesn't work, I'm not going to stop and pray for it the next time I get it. If I I pray for a job or I pray for finances this time and it doesn't work, I'm going to continue to pray for it. I'm just going to continue to follow because they realized that God sees us and God is with us and He's good and, and His plan is good. And His plan is to heal us. They trusted God's goodness and graciousness to tell them what they needed to know, when they needed to know it. And they didn't get caught up in the guilt games. They didn't get caught up in the games of saying, God, you must be angry at me, you must be disciplining me, so why do I not understand and I'm I'm totally failing at this and this isn't happening because I don't know and you don't tell me. And you know what? We can trust God to tell us what we need to know when we need to know it. We don't have to get caught up in those guilt games. The problem of evil is central to our faith. In fact, Jesus says this. He says, if we don't wrestle with this whole thing of of being able to deal with pain and suffering in a healthy way, following Him in His goodness and trusting Him that, that we can't even be His disciples. It says, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. And in Luke 14 it says, and anyone who does not carry his cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. Jesus doesn't ask us to behave and believe first. He doesn't ask us to have all the answers to our questions before we get to do the stuff of ministry, before we get to see Him move, before we get to see Him do all sorts of cool stuff. In fact, we see him sending his disciples out very early before they believed correctly. And he, and he says this about them, I'm sending you out as sheep among wolves. And we see his disciples following him and, and they end up in a storm in the middle of a lake one night, fearing for their life. They end up in Jerusalem with centurions and Roman soldiers and Jews angry at them, trying to arrest them. We see them being flogged and beaten. And yet, for some reason, they say this. They say it's, it's not even worth considering The present sufferings are not even worth considering given the glory and the wonder and the abundance that God wants to bring to our life. They trusted in the mystery of God, in the mystery of the now and the not yet. And because they did, they walked people out of darkness and light. They saw people healed. They saw people come to faith. They saw rulers who were proud and arrogant submit their lives to God. And they saw in three centuries an entire empire changed. And isn't that really what we want in life? 
We don't really need all the answers to the questions. We just need to know that God sees us. We just need to know that He is good. That He is at work. That we don't have to get caught up in all these guilt games of whether we're good enough, whether we're thinking right enough, whether it's our fault, somebody else's fault for this happening. We can trust Him to just simply walk with Him. That He will tell us what we need to know when we need to know it. If the worship team and, and those serving communion could come I don't know all the answers, but this I know. God doesn't want our questions to block us from following Him. He wants us to leave our questions, keep asking them, but walk in the mystery of His goodness. And sometimes that involves huge risk. Sometimes that is very, very uncomfortable for us. Like like last week was uncomfortable for some of you. When we ask people to get up and say, would you be willing to be prayed for healing? And would we pray for each other with healing? That's out of our control. Only God can control that. Things like that are uncomfortable. But if we don't press into things that are uncomfortable, then we likely are not really even following Jesus. Because when we look at the pattern of the disciples, when we look at the pattern of, it, of everyone who's followed and done something great for God in their life, it always involves risk. So today we're going to celebrate communion, and Walt's going to read a scripture for us in a moment. But as we celebrate, I want you to remember the mystery of what God did for us. This all-loving, all-powerful God, before whom we stand in our sin, who, if He were completely just, without mercy and love, could have just wiped us out. But instead, He takes justice upon Himself for us. He sends His Son for us so that we can experience that life. We can experience His love. We can experience His healing. We can experience His miracles. We can experience Him speaking to us in a desperate time. We can experience Him speaking to us for somebody else and ministering to them in a desperate time. And it really will be His presence. It really will be God doing that. And that's really what we celebrate today in the elements. Well,